You're listening to Grow Yourself Up, a weekly mental health podcast hosted by Kath Cunahan. I'm a psychotherapist, writer, and speaker working in private practice in London. I specialize in the impact of our own childhood on our parenting and how we can heal and integrate our childhood trauma, wounding, and stress so that we can inhabit our full adult selves. Join us each week as we talk about all things growing ourselves up, how we can tend to ourselves in our parenting, generational healing, and overcoming the impacts of childhood trauma. Together, we will become more self-compassionate, connected, authentic, resilient, and heart-centered, so we can live our own full and beautiful lives. As a listener of this podcast, you're welcome to come over and join the Facebook group. So search on Facebook for Grow Yourself Up. It's a private Facebook group of all the listeners. And did you know there are journal prompts that go along with every episode? So sign up for the journal prompts on kathcunahan.com or go to my Instagram, kathcunahan, and sign up at the link in the bio there. And you will get my newsletter, Nurture, Heal, Grow, which contains all the journal prompts. Looking forward to seeing you in the Facebook group. The podcast is produced each week by the wonderful Audio Cafe. Thanks for being here. It's episode 65 of Grow Yourself Up, and today we're going to be talking about trauma, mothering, and our nervous systems. This is an episode of um, the podcast Seasons of Matrescence that I initially recorded with Nikki McCann, and um, often if someone else asks me questions, I, I sometimes think I give the answers that people are more interested to hear. So <laughs> when I listen back to this podcast that I did with her um, for her podcast, I thought, oh, maybe the Grow Yourself Up listeners would like to hear this. So Nikki is a matrescence educator and a woman's life cycle guide, and she explores the transformative experience of becoming a mother in her body of work. She will be on the podcast um, in the future, but for the moment, I wanted to share this episode with you. And there's um, a lot of packed into this. Something I want to say about play, which um, has been a topic that's come up repeatedly, when we have had our own childhood trauma, many of us never actually played in our childhood much because we were so busy um, uh, being precocious because we were parentified and we were busy with looking after our parents' needs. And what that means is that play uh, can be very complex for us and come with a whole lot of kind of rules in our head. And so you may find you want to avoid playing with your children because of all that it brings up. So I talk about this towards the end of this episode, and I've actually done a workshop called Transforming the Pain of Play, which I just need to get around to running. So join my mailing list or email me if you are um, interested in this. And um, yeah, let's get into the topics, and I'd love to hear what you think. In this episode, I sit down with Kath and have a very gentle, compassionate, and open-hearted conversation about the ways in which our experiences of childhood trauma can shape and impact how we experience mothering and raising children. We cover a lot of ground in this episode. We talk about exactly what childhood trauma is, how it can manifest in our lives as adults, the nervous system, our window of tolerance, and we talk about how trauma can travel through families and generations. 
We talk about why playing with your children can be overwhelming or dysregulating, particularly if you have a background of childhood trauma. We talk about the power of rupture and repair for our children as well as for ourselves. And most importantly, we talk about how we can bring in much more compassion to ourselves when we're exploring our experiences of childhood trauma and how these might be showing up for us in the present moment. There is so much wisdom in this episode. I absolutely loved speaking to Kath, and I know that this is going to be really supportive for you. I hope that you're able to listen and take everything that you need to take away with you from this episode. If you would like to connect with Kath, you'll find all of her contact information in the show notes. Hi, Kath. Welcome to the podcast. I am so excited to have you here and to be talking about this huge topic with you, which I know impacts so many mothers in their journey of becoming a mother and comes up in parenting and really deserves the airtime and the space to talk about. So thank you so much for being here with me. That's a great pleasure. Thank you for asking me to join. So let's start maybe at the kind of opening question of what exactly is trauma and how can past experiences of trauma impact or show up in our lives now in the present, particularly perhaps in our mothering? Okay, um, I'm going to try and keep this as succinct as possible, um, but I'll give you a little bit of history context as well. So um, now, since we know a lot more about the nervous system in the last 25 to 30 years, we look at trauma much more through the lens of a nervous system, of the nervous system. And there's a, um, a phrase that Peter, De- Peter Levine uses in Somatic Experiencing, that trauma is an experience for our body and our nervous system and ourselves of too much too fast, too soon. And so it means that we don't have enough resources in our system or enough support to process something or deal with something. And so we become very overwhelmed. And that um, leaves a like a mark in our system, essentially. Like we, it's it's a kind of trauma residue. Um previously, like more historically, um, people have always talked about there being like categories of trauma, like um, we've divided up into big T and small T trauma and big T would be like, um, a car accident, um, a rape, um, a natural disaster, um, any like big experience, but that's tended to be a one-off thing. Um, although some people have multiple big T traumas, but I think lots of people have that actually. Um, and then childhood trauma has traditionally been seen as, um, and, and childhood trauma actually goes into both, um, big T and small T, but um, small T trauma um, is what Dan Siegel calls, I think he calls it grains of sand. So it's like this constant dripping of of trauma, which is like um, experiences throughout our childhood that impact us, which might be having um, parents who have got addiction, um, violence in the household, which I mean, I think is big T, but it's on a consistent basis. Um, Parents who are emotionally unavailable, um, who ignore us, who um, need us to care for them. So when we get very engaged in being a parentified child, or sometimes that's called codependence, um, where uh, the parents may be drinking all the time, they may have their own mental illness or depression, or there's a lot of financial stress in the house, um, poverty, you know, socioeconomic factors make a huge difference to this because if both your parents have to work all the time, you know, 
by definition, you're going to have a lot, you're going to have to really raise yourself. Um, but now those distinctions are a little bit, um, I'm telling you about them because I think that it's really relevant, especially in the mothering space, because people think if they haven't had a big T trauma, um, they can't consider to have been had trauma. And actually, one of the most prevalent types of trauma that we have is, is, um, childhood trauma, complex trauma that is now called childhood emotional neglect. Um, but is kind of no attendance to our feelings, shutting down our feelings, banishing us when we're having big feelings, um, using a lot of hitting, um, as discipline, um, trying to reward good behavior. Uh, so kind of the legacy of behaviorism. Um, though in the way that the way that behaviorism has really dominated parenting advice and indeed lots of life advice. Um, and why? So I think that that's an extremely common experience that people don't have any access to their emotions because they have not received enough co-regulation growing up. So when they get into motherhood and big feelings come up, um, first of all, there's the crushing shame because if you were a little girl who, um, who anytime you protested and in the literature, in the psychoanalytic literature, this is called protest where, um, you know, like if you throw the red cup when you actually want the blue cup, if your mother then punishes you and sends you away and you don't get dinner because you've done that, you're never going to throw that red cup again. Or you might a few times, but you know, it's terrifying to you. So you learn that your protest has no value. Um, which is why I always urge people to like let their children protest, which I know is a lot. I mean, it's really irritating, but letting your child have access to their fight response is like essential. Um, and, um, but, but what I'm saying is that like when we get into motherhood, if we feel anger or rage or boredom or, um, ambivalence, all of those things, if they weren't hold for us as a child, held for us as a child, um, our first response is to want to shut them down. Because it's so like, we're like, Oh my God, what's going on here? And, um, the, the legacy of our own implicit memories coming up will be that I better shut this down because, uh, it's not safe because it wasn't safe as a child. And so what I just touched on there about implicit memories or what some people call unconscious memories, our body somatic memories. That's, I would suggest the main vehicle for how stuff that happened in our childhood impacts our mothering. And so, um, and that's really huge because, you know, we often, I would not have known the depth of my own pain from my own childhood unless I had become a mother. And sometimes I think, oh, my wish, I wish I hadn't touched into this so much, but I mean, you can't go back. But because of the way our kids really touch our, our own experiences, it's like our own childhood is like, bam, in technicolor right in front of us. And that can be so destabilizing and discombobulating because, um, we, really can then struggle to differentiate between what on earth is going on now in the present moment and what is of the history. And because we feel so unsafe, then often we launch into um, a lot of control um, to trying to cover up how much we might be struggling because we've got this massive shame core, which tells us we're bad and we're wrong. And we think, oh my God, I'm like a bit crazy. Um, but often it's just the past. And it's kind of like, um, when we get triggered and a memory uh, is triggered in the present moment, it's like there's a highway that lights up all the way back to the origin experience or the origin experiences. And it all is just like lit up. Um, and we can experience all of that in our bodies. And so that process of starting to become aware of when we get triggered, when things feel so huge, um, 
really being so gentle with ourselves and tending to ourselves because it just shows so much of our own unheld and unsupported pain often. Um, and I think that that, you know, things like um, alcoholism and um, if you think about, I'm 47, so my parents' generation were baby boomers, essentially, and my grandparents, like my grandfather fought in the Second World War. So there's so much trauma, um, you know, there's genocides, um, uh, there's, um, depending on what racial group you are, there's, you know, you might have um, slavery or um, the Holocaust or um, like in Australia, if you've, if you've got Aboriginal background, you know, there's terrible trauma very recently mm-hmm. um, that would be um, coming into, into families. And so, um, all of that and the control that comes up, the, the, the kind of the behavior patterns from, um, from the past trauma, it's all kind of, we're looking at that all now. Um, okay, I feel like I'm kind of drifting now. I can't remember what I was trying to say, but, um, I think that everyone has got some of this in their history because you might have thought, um, you know, for example, if your grandfather fought in the Second World War, someone, and then um, they have PTSD and they refuse to talk about things and they have violent, aggressive outbursts, um, and but then in their in their family, everything looks very good, as in everyone achieves academically, they go on to get good jobs, um, they seem very contained, but actually, um, really, there's alcoholism and um, workaholism and um, maybe a lot of self disconnection. Well, I mean, addiction is self disconnection. And then those, the children of that, um, may have behavioral problems. They may get diagnosed with like ADHD or, um, various other things, but it's often the, just the playing out of the trauma via the nervous system. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that was like a huge answer and I hope that that all made sense. That was wonderful. Thank you so much. Thank you for touching on how, you know, trauma passes through <coughs> generations and through lineages and through families and it's, often you know something that perhaps we can trace back that story in our mother's story or in our father's story and look at how these coping mechanisms a lot of the time are kind of passed down generations and how um we can I guess kind of maybe depersonalize it a little bit as well in knowing that it's that it's actually not just about us and I think this was really coming up for me as you were talking about how a lot of the, the time trauma shows up as implicit memories, which is you don't, you might not necessarily have that conscious story about what's actually going on, but all of yes. a sudden you're triggered and you're going, yeah. I, I'm, I have an activation in my body. I'm feeling really overwhelmed. I'm feeling angry. I'm feeling sad, whatever it is. And because you don't necessarily have the story about that memory, then we can kind of almost feel like we don't have permission to feel that or as you said shame can come up about why am I feeling this but as you said this is this is about things that we may not even consciously remember having had happen is that right yes yes and I think that that's really so important that the core of how we tend to ourselves now needs to be that we believe ourselves Mm -hmm. and that we honor our bodily experience because that is where it's all kept and we don't, you know, some of us do have some clear ideas about what happened. Some of us just don't because we had to dissociate so much that, um, you know, we were blocked it off at the time. And also we might have been very, very young when a lot of this stuff happened. And and you also don't have a memory of your grandfather being in the war, but you have the coping mechanisms. Do you know what I mean? So so we absolutely have to honor um, what's happening now and not 
kind of gaslight ourselves into thinking, why am I like this? Da, 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 da. And one of the, um, I did something, an exercise looking at um, what happened on my grandparents, like from grandparents on both sides, then my parents and then me. And there's a lot of premature death. There's um, a lot of addiction, um, a lot of trauma, uh, some other kind of trauma that I won't go into. But but um, it made me feel so much better because I was like, oh, I had this coming to me. <laughs> like mm-hmm. There was no ways I would be other than I was because like I'm 47 now, but I only got, I only kind of managed to have a successful love relationship when I was about 36 and my children were born when I was 40. And before that, my twenties and thirty, early thirties were kind of a, a disaster zone of terrible relationships with men who aren't available and overworking and so much self abandonment and, you know, exacerbating my own pain in, continuously. And so sometimes I can really be like, God, like what a mess I made of a lot of things. Um, and like lots of debt. Actually, I was a compulsive shopper. Um, but when I look through a much more compassionate lens, I'm like, oh yeah, this is what was coming down to me from both sides of my family. Um, at least I've like looked at some stuff now and I would really urge all your listeners to kind of, I think one of the nicest, most um, supportive exercises you can do actually is to write down a family history of if you can get access to that, you know, verbal talking to your relatives, something, even if you don't have contact with some of the people in your family to try and build it up because once you see um, the coping strategies and you see, oh, that person was an addict, maybe they had sexual abuse in their background as well. Maybe there was this. Um, it, it helps us really make sense of our own story, which can bring in so much compassion. That's Yeah, thank you so much for sharing that. And I love what you said about how so much of it sounds like the healing process, which I know we'll probably talk a little bit more in a, in a second about, is about believing ourselves and like yeah. that our experiences are valid. And it sounds like, you know, when you were talking about that example of throwing the red cup, it's like those feelings don't matter and those feelings aren't valid and those feelings aren't welcome. And so part of that is just saying, okay, like I'm feeling really angry right now. And rather than kind of trying to talk myself out of that feeling or tell myself that I shouldn't be feeling that way. It's just acknowledging the presence and then being able to work with it from there. Yeah. 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 And st- stringing the narrative, joining, because we have like a top-down approach and a bottom-up approach. So the, the anger showing up on your body um, is kind of the, the communication from our nervous system. And being able to marry those together is really helpful. But as we said, sometimes you can't because we don't have the um, – the the narrative but honoring that it's important that like our inner child now has space to have whatever feelings they have and we can tend to that um and it's not uh, the crucial but i think is that it's not our child's job to tend to our inner child mm-hmm. um and we have to kind of keep on reconnecting to the fact that we are the adults which i mean i personally do not manage to do all of the time and uh, I, I don't think anyone can do that because that would be perfection which we don't which doesn't exist and also because each new stage with our children brings up new things mm-hmm. so we're constantly you know that Brene Brown thing of fucking first times we're constantly in those in motherhood I think I hope it was okay to swear but you know what I mean I think like I'm like oh my word it's definitely like there's, there's a lot of those all the time yes yes 
So if someone's listening and they think, you know, maybe they have some trauma in their history and maybe they're just starting to piece together that that this could be impacting them now, are there any, obviously it's going to show up differently for anyone, but are there any sort of like ways that trauma can manifest itself in our lives now that we might be able to kind of notice or we could kind of pinpoint perhaps what's that it's that it's something that's not just about what's happening in the present moment, but perhaps it's got roots in our past? Yeah, so I think that coping strategies are the way that we would notice that. Mm -hmm. And um, what's really interesting is that um, regardless of the trauma, so regardless of what's happened to us, the coping strategies are are, um, common. They um, they vary on like a continuum, um, but things like perfectionism, um, being very controlling. So if it feels like we absolutely have to control something our children do, there might be trauma underneath that because we're trying to keep ourselves safe. Uh, people pleasing, um, feeling like we need to be very, very independent, um, and not ask for any help and having a lot of shame attached to asking for help. Um, really keeping busy all of the time, like our feet not kind of, um, touching the ground or we kind of just, Continually overschedule. That's a pattern of, um, of, um, being in our, um, one of our survival states. Um, if we notice that we dissociate, I mean, it's sometimes hard to notice you dissociate because you're dissociated, but, um, noticing, Oh, like, I don't know how we got through that dinner. You know, kind of where did I go? If you, um, are noticing you're drinking a lot more. Um, so if you have to like have a, some drinks to like alcoholic drinks, I mean, to get through bath time or you, that's when you have to pop a Xanax or a Valium or something to manage through that. Um, if you are noticing that you're frantically doing a lot of shopping or you're constantly scrolling on social media to get away from things. I mean, and those are also all the degrees because sometimes I use Instagram to regulate myself. You know, when you want to zone out, but you kind of do say like, but if you are like often noticing that you're desperate to have a glass of wine before you proceed into your supper and bath time thing, maybe there's something there. Or if you, um, like with my daughters, I notice I always want to tie the hair off their face. And, um, and I can be really controlling about that actually. And one of them loves to wear her hair like basically like this in her face, basically. And I'm like, forget all of your face. And I was noticing, um, she doesn't want to. So I've stopped tying her tear up and I noticed my own control come up and I've got a lot of control stuff because um, it kept me safe. It was an attempt at, at sort of managing chaos and anxiety. Mm-hmm. Um, so anything where it feels like there's a power battle with your children, um, that can also indicate something about why is it that you need to control this? Because our children are not our possessions. You know, they come through us. They're not, they are not us. Um, but um, when we've had trauma, it often can feel like they're kind of a bit fused with us like this. Mm. Um, so starting to kind of notice that separation, but I mean, and all of those coping strategies are also on a continuum. So if it feels like you absolutely have to get everything perfect all of the time, it may be that as a child, um, you were not accepted in your, in your kind of authenticity because all the research there's lots of um kind of debate about perfections but but the research points to the fact that it's that we didn't when our needs met in childhood we weren't tended to we didn't have our negative affect held um we weren't supported in all our feelings um yeah 
Yeah. Anyways, I'm sure there's more, but that's that's what comes to mind. Yeah. And I love that you brought in the piece around recognizing that whatever coping strategies we're finding are maybe not really working for us anymore. At one point they did. And at yeah. one point they were the way that we got through something that was really painful. And so we can kind of hold those coping strategies, perhaps with a bit of compassion as well and going, well, yes. actually at one point this kept me safe or this kept me you know, emotionally stable or it helped me get through this situation that just was too overwhelming for me to deal with perhaps when I was a child and I just didn't have the resources. But now exactly. it's getting to the point where actually this coping mechanism is causing me more pain than it is helping me. And that's sort of when it yeah. becomes time to yeah. review. Yes, exactly. And that piece is so important because um sometimes like I have clients who beat themselves up for certain things. And I think that we didn't choose these coping strategies. They were our best, they're adaptations. So they're the the best thing that we could come up with as children. And um, it's also confusing because some of them, like people pleasing and perfectionism um, in the world, when you're working, that really contributes to like glossy career in many ways. And, And being glossy in many ways, I always use the word shiny because um, you know, you can be like so polished externally and doing so well. Um, and it seems that all your coping strategies work. And it's often only in motherhood that you get confronted with how kind of, um, unhelpful they are. Mm-hmm. And, um, some of them, one, one particular coping strategy dissociation, often there's a lot of shame about that. But that was, um, you know, that is a way that, we protected ourselves in childhood. It's how we could actually continue to live. And with um with nervous system stuff, there's often a lot of focus. I'm sure some of your listeners know about some about polyvagal theory, but um there's one um uh nervous system state, which I think people which is called ventral vagal in polyvagal theory, which is a place where you're kind of quite well regulated, um your your frontal cortex is online, you can think. And there's often an idea, I particularly see this on social media, that we, we just trying to aim to be there all the time. Um, and that we, we could be there all the time, but, but, and the sort of a denigration of the other states, but both the other states, which in, um, Stephen Porges' language and Deb Dana's work are called, um, sympathetic, which is kind of a very activated place. And then dorsal shutdown, which is where we're much more disconnected and shut down. Those really are very useful. We need those. And, and we can be grateful to those states. And if, if you spent a lot of your childhood in dorsal or in, 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 um, dissociation, that kept you alive. Mm. And it's hard coming out of, um, dissociation. Um, you know, it's really it takes a lot of kind of quite attentive, vigilant work around our own system. And, um, and also there's all this idea of what we have to be really present in motherhood. But if you've survived by being not present, um, it's really about kind of titrating back into presence. You don't just suddenly go from disconnected to like, like ta-da, you know, you don't just come and land in presence. Yes, that's so true. Thank you. Um, thank you for bringing that point up. To kind of, I'd love to explore that a little bit more, you know, why is motherhood so activating for our past trauma I can hear the things around the loss of control maybe as well we can't disassociate quite as easily because our children are always 
needing something, <laughs> you know, they're kind yeah. of calling us back into presence, into our bodies. Um, but what are what are your what's your opinion on on why this particular point of our lives can bring so much up to the surface around our own childhood experiences? So in my model, it's that um, those coping strategies we've talked about, so perfectionism, uh, people-pleasing, um, control, those are things that we have utilised throughout our lives to keep ourselves safe, and they've acted to regulate us, essentially. So say it, if at work um, we like tootling along in our career before we've had children and something, like we get bad feedback about something. We would then go into our perfectionism and our people pleasing. So kind of maybe do some fawning with our boss to understand like what's going on. Um, how can we do better? Blah, blah, blah. Push ourselves, push ourselves, overwork. Um, but we, we make ourselves feel better that way because we then get good feedback. We've dealt with that, com- that kind of complaint or issue and we, um, we back on track. So we used our existing coping strategies to regulate ourselves instead of being able to go, Oh, hang on. That's kind of completely invalid. That, that is not part of my job description. I don't have the, I'm not going to overwork tonight because I need to go to my yoga class or whatever. So we don't actually know how to regulate ourselves. Um, and because we didn't have enough co-regulation in childhood. And so, but it's not as obvious when we're not having other people demand on us all the time because we just use those existing coping strategies. Mm-hmm. We may have, um, very tumultuous love relationships. Um, we may be acting out in all sorts of other ways. Like I was having massive shopping. Um, we may be drinking a lot. We may like have a drug problem. We might be like taking Coke on the weekends or I don't know, um, prescription pills all the time. But all of that seems quite normal often. You know, drinking a lot before you have children is kind of normalized in our culture. Um, lots of people use prescription medication. Um, uh, shopping is seen as like a sign of prosperity. Um, all of these ways in which we're actually quite unwell in the ways we manage ourselves um, are not so obvious, if you see what I mean, until um, until we kind of really tested really personally. And I, I think that it's a lot about, um, so getting into motherhood, <clears throat> excuse me, um, we, our shame has touched massively, massively, because we're like, how come we have all these feelings? Um, how come this is so hard? Because previously we've been able to manage things. You know, you can you can just work harder in whatever sphere you're working in, and um, and then come back into a place of feeling like good enough. But often, like particularly in early motherhood, with things like feed and sleep, which are the, the two hot button things. Um, the harder we try and control and perfect sleep, uh, the more out of control it gets often because um, we can't control our baby. We we can't control what they eat. And if we, from a nervous system perspective, if we are getting very worked up about it, regardless of whether we're speaking, they're going to pick up our tense musculature, our face changes at the bottom. You know, we get a very set face. We start to talk in very clipped tones. Our eyes change. There's so much that is communicated by our body. So we, and I mean, this is I, uh, this is not to blame, but we make the situation worse with our own physiology. And that's sometimes a really hard message to hear. I certainly don't want to hear that, but I know that I do that with my children. Mm-hmm. 
So, so I really want to sort of say to your listeners, please, please, please be gentle with yourself because you don't know about this until you know about it. So don't shame yourself for what you don't know. Yeah, thank you so much for saying that because as this kind of a side effect of learning about this information is once you start knowing it, sometimes you have the awareness, but you don't necessarily have the solutions straight away. So that's yeah. kind of part of the process is that you've got this new information. You can see things perhaps that you couldn't see before, but you're still in the process of trying to work out how to manage it or how to, you know, find a new solution or a new way to cope, a new way to deal with the feelings that you have in your body or the experiences that you're going through in your mothering that are bringing up those feelings of shame or loss of control. And I feel like that's the most uncomfortable part of the process because ignorance is kind of bliss, you know, when you don't know, then you don't have that um, sort of inner voice or that noticing that makes it more challenging sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, um, and that's the bit where I think, because awareness, we, we need to develop awareness for a long, long, long time. And, and luckily we can do some tools almost immediately once we've developed awareness, but it doesn't mean that it's not going to happen because our nervous system is responding to cues of safety or lack of safety or danger in our environment all of the time. And it's, we're doing that unconsciously. It's operating out of the level of awareness. And so even when, let me, let me give you an example. So last week, um, I was, I had my kids, what was happening? Um, and I was trying to prepare. So I had a client, um, at 9 a.m. and the person who was coming to look after my children was coming at like five to nine. So I knew that I needed to get everyone dressed and give them breakfast or help them with that and, um, make them breakfast. And, um, I needed to shower and I needed to make sure that my, I always join my Zoom earlier so that I'm um, kind of ready. This was, it was an online client actually. And um, I was doing quite well. um, And I was like, you know, this is going quite well. And then I noticed that my internet was red, like the, um, and, and then I was like, oh no, what's going on? And I could feel myself immediately get a bit like tense, like in my body, I get like crunching chest. And I was like, oh. Um, so I turned off the, um, the internet, which actually turned off the TV because the kids were watching TV in the same room. So then they got flustered. So then I had to like turn, like m- manage that situation down. And I tried to reset the internet, but I noticed myself and I reset it twice and I was getting more and more flustered because I still needed to shower and I needed to make sure it was working. And I was, I could hear in my voice getting more and more clipped with my children, like move out of my way, like just get out of my way, basically, like out of my face. I need to sort out these issues. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't shouting, but I could feel my body getting more tense and um, my face. I just couldn't kind of manage my face. Basically. I was getting stressed. And my one child lay down on the floor and put a pillow under her head because I think I'd stressed her out so much. You know, I, I wasn't shouting or anything, but, and I felt so, I felt so much shame and I felt so much like sadness that, um, that was some of my responses. And I did manage to reset the internet and I talked to her about what had happened. But like those are the things of life, mm-hmm. you know. Um we kind of like the this this repatterning business takes a long time. You know, even when we do have the awareness and we've got lots of tools, in my system, when I get stressed, my oldest pathways light up, you know, our oldest neural pathways, because neuroplasticity is wonderful, but it doesn't erase our old pathways. Um, we build the new pathways, but 
especially in times of stress, and that's actually another big thing with motherhood, we go straight back to our um, our, our earlier neural pathways. Um, and so that's exactly what happened in that moment. I was like, what am I going to do? Like, what if I can't get the internet working for my client? And you people are like irritating me and like asking me tons of questions because from, from our child's point of view, when we start to get stressed, we send out signs of danger and then, um, they engage in their own safety behavior, which is being closer to us. Mm-hmm. And for me at that point, I'm like, I just need the space. You know what I mean? Like go away from me. But that's when they start to get more clingy. I mean, I'm not saying leave the room, but I'm just saying give me some space. And it's taken me, I also struggle with transitions. So i.e. leaving the house. And I sometimes have that same pattern play out there where I get more like worked up and I'm trying to get dressed by myself. And they then want to come and like crowd around me when I'm getting dressed. And I'm like, go away, go away. And then they get more stressed and they want to hang around more. But it's taken me a long time to realize what a contributor I was to the how the transitions were difficult. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Um, that piece is just so fantastic when you just um, said how when we're dysregulated, it's triggering our children's like danger alert, you know, in their nervous system that they're going, something's wrong. And so then they come closer to you. I see that pattern yeah. play out so much. And yeah. I think it's really, it's really great to be able to name actually what's going on there because sometimes it's just like, oh God, do they just know when we're having one of those moments or something? They've got this like special detector, but it's yes, so they do it's their nervous system and I think this really brings in you know the whole importance of rupture and repair and knowing that that's something that is actually really helpful for our children to see as well like the goal isn't ever to be perfect but even in that experience it sounds like you've you know you've gone through that experience and then you were able to go through the repair with your children and talk to them about what was going on for you and I think that um being able to frame that as being a really important learning for our children to witness too is really important as well to defeat that crippling shame that can come in when we don't get it perfect all of the time. And as you said, perfectionism may have been, you know, our coping mechanism. And then with just the shame stick comes out and just starts hitting us. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. And I think that rupture and repair is, is the most like important thing in all relationships actually but so many of us had no idea of um, any healthy modeling around the repair after a rupture so it might have been that there was lots of shouting in your house growing up or slamming of doors or shutting everything down and throwing it underneath the carpet you know as it were like you know everything just gets lifted up and put under the carpet Um, so then it feels important to shut down conflict and if it was explosive then it's so unsafe either way is so unsafe and watching like watching our parents have conflict one of the hallmarks of trauma is that we are um the experience we left with is that we 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 are powerless and we experience it alone mm-hmm. and so when we make repair with our children we are taking away that aloneness and we are saying you know that was me i'm so sorry um I, and, and I, I sometimes I find it tricky because I'm like, I'll probably do this again, you know, and I, I sort of beat myself that way. And I'm like, oh. but that's, that's the nature of it. And I always like to think about w- with attachment that we're on a dance floor and we don't leave the dance floor. Like the parent never leaves the dance floor. It's our responsibility to kind of, um, manage that and manage, um, 
how we communicate and remain in touch with them, no matter how the child is being. And so it's always our responsibility to manage the repair and not to say, you were being like a little pain in the neck. That's why I did that. You know, to kind of honor that we were the ones who were struggling and to, to, um, say we're sorry and, um, and not to make it kind of conditional. But like my parents never apologized to me. I think I don't know anyone's parents who really have, but that can be such a, um, a healing thing. Like when I've had other clients who are able to have repair with their parents now, it's like amazing. Um, and I think it is so because I think I've noticed when I model with my children and I say, I often just say I'm having a tricky time. Um, and, um, I'm so sorry. And, um, I know that that made you have, you have a scary feeling in your body. Um, you know, can I give you a hug or when you're ready, let's talk about it or have a hug. And I notice sometimes that when my twins talk about each other, they say, Oh, she's having a tricky time. So, you know, there's so much that can be modeled. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that contributes to resilience because ultimately we want our children to know that they can tolerate something negative. And I'm not talking about abuse here, but that they can tolerate something and they can survive. It's survivable. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. I'm kind of thinking of like the, you know, the nervous system. And I know you brought up um, polyvagal theory before. It's not that we're never going to go into that fight or flight or that freeze, but we yeah. can come back from it. Exactly. We can go there yeah. and then we can come back and we can feel safe again, where it sounds like a lot of the time what's happened to, to many um, people is that we kind of get stuck there. We don't have yes. that experience of coming back into into safety and and knowing that um that we can come back and that we can have that repair and and not feel alone as you said um yeah exactly and that's such an important point that you just raised up Nikki because you know doing the work to widen our window of tolerance or become more flexible in our nervous system whatever language you want to use is not that we are going to never have be in what's often termed our survival states. So have those, um, those, um, either be in shutdown or be in fight or flight or, um, do some fawning or something. It's not that we're not going to do those. It's that we will, um, have enough flexibility to come back and it'll be that probably that we come back quicker. So we might spend some period of time in there because that's how we kind of keeping ourselves safe at that point. And it's also not that we won't be angry because we need access to healthy aggression. Um, we need, sometimes we do need to actually fawn, you know, if we're in a dangerous situation and we need to de-escalate something because we're in a car late at night or I don't know, there's mm. something that's, it's a useful survival skill. Mm. Um, and so we want to honor all of the ways that we survive, but give ourselves kind of more choice mm-hmm. so that we're not stuck in like, um, like thinking we need to get it perfect. And cause that, 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 um, the sympathetic state is like that churning and churning and churning around. How can I get it perfect? What do I need to do? How can I control this? And so that might look like, like trying to force feed your child, like loads of different foods. And just, instead of just going, okay, just like have the peanut butter toast. Like who cares? Mm, 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 yeah. Thank you. Um, yeah. I think I love that you said that it's about having more choice and that it's not about kind of cutting off or demonizing the um, other states like the freeze or the fawn or the fight or anger or anything, but just going, those have their place, but I'd like to have more choice in how I respond and more ability to kind of move between those states easier. Yeah. Yeah. 
One of the things also that I found really helpful with the rupture and repair is that for me, I didn't receive that. I didn't receive that kind of, you know, closure in those relationships, but doing it with my son has almost allowed me to experience what that would be like for myself. Um, yeah. it's, been, it's been healing for me, for my own inner child to be able to sit with him when he's, you know, four or five or six or seven now and be able to have those sorts of conversations with him and doing it for him is kind of doing it for myself as well, because I'm experiencing what it would be like to have had those sorts of conversations or, or have been able to be held in my own messiness, in my own anger or whatever it might be. So I think that, you know, not seeing it as well as something that we're, um, that's only for them. It's also for us. It's about our relationship as two people who are connected to each other and doing life together. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So much of parenting is so healing for us. Um, and, and that reparenting that happens when we can really tend to them and also when we can play, actually. I mean, even though play is incredibly hard when we've had, um, trauma background, but I think that, you know, that really that, cause, cause I'm sure that you notice with your son that when you, um, when you apologize to him or when you really connect his whole system, or he, you can just see him kind of relax. Mm-hmm. And, and I find that helpful when I notice that in my kids to think, gosh, if you didn't get that, imagine what sort of state we were in, mm-hmm. you know, from a heightened alert perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I think that's such an important point you make. When you just um, mentioned there that play can be more difficult if you have a history of trauma, why is that? Why is play more difficult? Well, um, play is, is essentially being in our, feeling safe enough to take on different roles mm-hmm. and to, um, to just kind of experiment. And I think particularly with perfectionism, we, there's often this idea of I'm not going to do something if I don't do it well. And play is an essentially an experimentation of what's going to emerge in the field. Um, and, and how is it, um, it, there's not really a judgment criteria for how it's going to go. And I think with perfectionism, there's always criteria of it needs to be a certain way. And if it's not like that, then it's not worthwhile. And, um, in, in my work with clients, and actually when I really like notice my own experience, there's often a lot of panic about being asked to play. So panic in our, as our, as us mothers, because we don't know what to do. So that might not be the first thing that comes up, but when you go, when you dig and you go, okay, why, why is that? Why don't you want to play? What, why does it feel imperative that you fold the laundry now or keep busy or stay away from them or whatever? When we go under and under and under into our kind of the core thing, um, there's often fear and, uh, and panic about how will we do this? And I think when we have been a parentified child or when we've been tasked with, um, like looking after our, our parents, um, we're very precocious because we had to kind of grow up. And so we haven't had much time to play as a, as us, you know, we didn't really have much playtime as children. So it can feel really uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think there's like many layers to this as well, but like really experimenting with um what unfolds and letting it be okay um and not imposing like my children were playing tennis they call it tennis but when I think about tennis I'm like oh yeah I think of like Roger Federer or you know 
everyone playing good rallies across the net and everything. This tennis is like, it doesn't actually, I don't think they've ever had a rally essentially. And there's no kind of, it's not even necessary that the ball touches both tennis rackets. You know what I mean? And so for me, I'm like, this is not tennis. And I was noticing they wanted me to come and play with them and to, um, to watch. And I really was quite resistant. And I noticed that it was because I was like, but I'm not sure if I'm, I can teach them this. Can I teach them tennis? First of all, um, this is not actually tennis. So I was imposing my own judgment, um, like a thick layer of this is not right because it's not perfect. Um, and I was totally discounting the joy that they were getting from the way they were playing. Um, and they didn't need me. I did teach them a little bit of stuff, but they didn't need me to impose my um, lens because my lens is like a flawed lens, to be honest. Um, and and then it's it's I really relaxed into it and I was like, okay, I'm just going to go and do this and see what they want me to do and just be, just like respond to the moment. Um, and then it developed into this like lovely game where um, then my husband came actually and we were each throwing a ball to them, like essentially bowling and cricket and they were trying to hit it. And then they really liked actually to watch my husband and I play tennis. And this is not on a tennis court, by the way, this is just on the grass. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was just, I keep on getting these lessons around play. Mm-hmm. And I think that there's so much to explore there. Yes. Yeah. I love, I love um, thinking about, you know, what it might be like to let yourself play a little bit more and to kind of just yeah. notice what arises and also, I guess, maybe doing it incrementally though, as you said, like not yes. kind of going, okay, well now I have to be the best at play and I'm going to, you know, be perfect at play. Like it can kind of yes. swing, swing <laughs> the other way. Exactly. Um, yeah. yeah, exactly. It's yeah. all about the incremental, like tiny steps of like, setting your phone for five minutes and saying, okay, I'm going to just be at your beck and call with this play mm-hmm. and see how it goes because we we need enough of our own resource in our system to know that we're safe to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and having that timer maybe you can kind of go, okay, well, you know, it has an end point. I have some sense of control. I'm not feeling totally, you know, um, outside of my comfort zone. And as you said, kind of building yeah. up the window of tolerance a little bit more. Okay. I can stretch from yeah. five minutes to six minutes or seven minutes or however long it might be. Yeah. Yeah. Because I think from when I really tapped into this for myself, it's that it feels purposeless mm-hmm. and, and that opens up a huge, it like taps into a huge well of pain for me. And so it can feel like I'm going to completely shut down actually, but that's an old, that's, that's, that's my old stuff. That's my implicit memories mm-hmm. around stuff from my own childhood. And so when, when each of your listeners can separate that out for themselves to notice I am safe, I don't need to understand the purpose. There is so much beauty and purpose and play mm-hmm. um, that I wish we did it more in schools, actually, because there's so much that there's so much the children's bodies are figuring out with the play and the big gross movements and, and so much that, that, I mean, I won't go into now, but, um, but for us, that desperate feeling of, of purposelessness, um, in, in, um, I think it's in 12 step, we talk about the whole in the soul. And so, doing things for us that don't feel like they've got value can tap into that huge hole in the soul, which then is just bottomless mm. when you haven't been held enough as a child and there's trauma. And so 
that's why the titration is so important that you just do it for a little bit and you notice, um, okay, I can manage this. Yeah. But, but so much gentleness. Cause I think this is actually one of the hardest, hardest things because it requires so much self trust and, um, knowing that you're there for yourself. Mm. Um, so don't like go and plan like a day of play, basically. If this is new to you, just start with 10 minutes. And sometimes it's nice to do it with another mom because then there can be so much co-regulation or or your partner if you have a partner or just in another group, you know? Yes. Yeah, I love that, bringing in the co-regulation piece because there is so much that we're holding as well when we're holding other our children's nervous systems as well as our own. Yeah. Yeah. So much. Like we don't honour enough how much the job of parenting is is so hard um and and it's lucky that we've got more information and then sometimes it's a real double-edged sword because like what you said earlier about ignorance is bliss you know yeah yes so if someone's listening to this podcast and they're thinking okay there's a lot maybe that's kind of getting stirred up and a lot that I'm maybe noticing or um, wanting to explore more of do you have any sort of advice around how to approach this work or where to kind of begin? Um, I think depending on how stirred up um, they are, I think that um, starting to do this work in therapy can be really, really helpful mm-hmm. because um, a lot of the stuff needs like we need relational healing ourselves and that that happens in relationship um and to to find a therapist you really resonate with so to not just take the first therapist who comes along to really take time to feel into whether they're right for you um if that feels um too tricky or out of reach for whatever reason um i think the 12 step fellowships are a wonderful place to start for many different things um i myself have had a lot of um help from 12 step fellowships um Things like codependence anonymous, um, uh, uh, adult children of, um, dysfunctional families. Um, it's one called ACOA, um, Al-Anon, which is for adult children of alcoholics and partners of alcoholics. Um, there's one for debt. There's one for eating because this often all plays out in eating stuff. Um, and, um, the the power of sitting in a group and hearing other people share their stories so honestly is very holding and beautiful. And it's very regulating, actually. You know, our limbic systems sit together in a room. And even online, you can get the same impact. Mm-hmm. And that's free. I mean, you contribute, you know, for the room rental, but it's essentially an amazing free resource where you can hear a lot of stories. Um, and like, I think um, that CODA helped me actually find someone to have a relationship with it really i had a a trauma therapist and everything but um there's so much you learn from other people's stories um i think journaling can be a massive massive help um finding a there's someone called patty whipfler who talks about um listening partners if you can find another person to listen with in a boundary way if you can't afford therapy um but and any like groups groups can be really really holding and helpful yeah I'm really hearing that when you're talking about the next steps it's about relationships as you said like it's not yeah. something that we can do 
completely on our own. Like maybe there's parts that can be done on our own, but it sounds like a lot of this is about being in connection with others and also knowing that that might be challenging too, even that kind of first yes. coming into connection. But that, as you said, you know, looking for a therapist, particularly one that's trained in the nervous system um, based off, you know, everything we've been talking about today, um, who can kind of help us start connecting and healing in a way that's gentle and supportive and compassionate and really honors, you know, the entirety of us and our stories and our experiences. Yes. And most, like most importantly, having a good relationship with that therapist, because we, um, we, we attach to, when we're insecurely attached, we basically have a process of attaching to our therapist. So we become securely attached to our therapist and then we become securely attached to ourselves. And then we're like a little bird who can fly off. Um, And like my one therapist, I loved so much. I wanted her to walk me down the aisle. You know, I was like, you're the reason I've got here. Mm -hmm. Um, She declined that, but, (laughs) but um, (laughs) I felt, you know, like so grateful to her for, for, where she'd helped me get to. And I, so I think that, um, and, and, you know, the, the, if, if it's a good relational, um, therapist, um, even before nervous system, there was, a, there's a lot of tending to the relationship. And that's the thing where you really learn about missteps and how to take responsibility for ourselves, because we have to, um, that thing about, we have to learn how to be in relationships is often because we have very childlike coping strategies. So maybe we can't, 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 can't cope with conflict in a relationship or if someone doesn't text us back immediately, we make up it's about us and then we start to hassle them and then they reject us. You know, there's so much complexity in that. Mm-hmm. So therapy helps us work through ma- the minutiae of what are we bringing to the situation? Mm-hmm. Oh, and they can also listen to my podcast. Amazing. Want to start. <laughs> yeah. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Kath, for sharing so generously with us and exploring this topic in such, in such detail and depth. Um, I would love if you could tell listeners how they can find you or work with you. I'll obviously link into your podcast in the show notes as well. But is there any other way um, listeners can connect with you? So I'm on Instagram. Um, I've got a podcast called Grow Yourself Up. Um, I have a private practice, but I'm actually full. Um, I, I mean, I see psychotherapy clients and I do want to I've got a, a group program called the emotional journey of parenting, um, which once I've gathered myself up and sorted some of the things in my personal life, I will relaunch. I just haven't, I haven't done it, um, this year. Um, but yeah, so they can sign up to my newsletter if they want. Amazing. Thank you. I'll link all of those in the show notes. Thank you again, Kath, for being That's a pleasure. And sharing. Thank you so much, Nikki. Thanks for having me. You've been listening to Grow Yourself Up, hosted by Kath Cunahan. We'll be back next week with a new episode supporting you to better understand and tend to yourself for more heart-centered, connected, authentic, and resilient living.